been talking a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit recently, and this is not a topic that we want to deviate and move on from. It's, it's, you can't experience a Christian life without an intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You can't be drawn into truth without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's not as though we ever move on from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You, you don't ever move on from the cross. You don't, just don't move on from God and who he is and what he's done. Uh, but it's helpful for us to pay attention. Can I get that, that our radio dial up here? Thank you. All right, we're moving down the dial. We've gone through conviction and repentance, the ministry of regeneration and conversion, the revelation and understanding ministry of the Spirit and leading us into truth. We've looked at the fruit of the Spirit, how that is experienced in our lives. We've touched a little bit on inner intangibles. We didn't exhaust any of these subjects, but we just introduced them, that there's ministry of the Spirit that just, it doesn't have a neat category. It's just the Holy Spirit intruding into your life in unique ways. There's uh, spirit intrusions. We looked at that last week about how the instantaneous work of the Spirit, that combustive work, shows up in your life in a moment, in an instant, disrupting what was just five minutes earlier and making the presence of God known and real to you in a way that not only furthers something God wants to do in that moment, but it does something to your faith in a long way, in a continuing way. I mean, just some great time of ministry took place on the altar last week. And, you know, people are meeting with God. I just, you know, bumped into some folks on the way in this morning. They came forward to pray last week, and, and God awakened one of our small group leaders and gave, them, gave him a word for them. And he came up and just began to, to pray for them in the way in which God was directing him to pray for them. And they, they happened to be coming forward for what he happened to be praying about. Right? In an amazing way, God was making this couple know that, hey, you know what, I, I'm, I know what's going on in your life. I'm directing what's going on in your life. And I want you to be aware of that. And in that intrusion of God where God just steps in and he uses something that you can get your mind around. Right? I was talking to another guy yesterday and, and he was telling me how God was just directing him in his time and probably using his 30-30 time. And he's studying through the book of, of Habakkuk and just reading. And God had directed him to Habakkuk, just reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And then he comes across this message that was preached by a, a, another pastor in Sovereign Grace and, and he, you know what, he says, you know, that sounds like something that God really wants to use in my life. And so he, he opens it up and begins to listen to it. And guess what book it's from? Habakkuk. You know, just God just directing traffic in our lives saying, you know what, I know the hairs on your head. I know what's going on in your life. I'm stepping into your world. I'm intruding into the moment. And I just want you to be aware of that. So sometimes there's moments where God just uses your name and he uses your situation specifically and the effect of that is it builds faith in your life, doesn't it? So, you know, we need God to be doing that radiating work of just, you know, the heat of God that changes us over time. But sometimes we just need God to step in and wow us. Just kind of freak us out for a moment so we can remember, hey, God, God's on sight in my life. Right? So that's some of the ministries we've looked at in the aspects of the Spirit. What I don't want us to do is move on from any of them. Right, we, want to, we want to learn that this broadcast is always taking place. We just want to learn how to dial in and receive from God in these different ways. All right, so this morning I want to move us over to the, a little farther down the dial to the ministry of the witness 
of the believer and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I titled this morning, The Power is for a Purpose. That purpose is about witness. And we've talked a lot about different dimensions of the Spirit, but, but if we miss this point, I, I think we have a hard time really grasping what's the Holy Spirit really all about. Um, how many guys were Star Trek fans, you know, back in the 70s, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock? Come on, you, you can be proud. It's okay. You're a nerd, but it's okay. You were young. You didn't know better at that point. Um, all right, well, you Trekkie fans and those of you who just watched the reruns, do you remember this episode? You know, if you're not aware of all of Star Trek, you know, I don't know what they were. They were the inspirational cyber police. You know, they just kind of they were traveling around on their spaceship Enterprise, showing up on planets with, that were having some kind of a problem, and they were just there to help and fix things. And so everywhere they went, they met some kind of strange activity, some nemesis, some hidden cause. And in the vast wisdom of Captain Kirk and the amazing logic of Mr. Spock, they were just about able to fix anything in the universe. And so they just went from place to place doing that. Well, they get to this one planet, and they're thinking that they're going there to clean up a mess. You know, there's a radiation leak thing happening, and they just think everybody's dead or it's terrible there. And they beam down to the planet. Mr. Spock and the landing party beam down, only to find out that everybody on the planet is alive, and they're doing incredibly well. They're very healthy. There's no conflict. People are at peace with one another. They're experiencing this nirvana type of existence. And so they're puzzled trying to figure out what, what, what's happened here. How is this possible? And you might remember this episode. Eventually, they discover that there's this, there's this plant that's growing there. And it's, it's kind of a Venus flytrap looking thing. It's pretty big. But it's got a big flower on the end of it. And you get drawn to it and you, you kind of check it out and you smell it and it sprays these spores into your face. Right, so all the guys get these spores sprayed in their face, and next thing you know, they just this this numbness comes over them, and they and this this bliss kind of comes over them, and they and they kind of become a different people. I mean, really different, right? If you remember the episode, it was it was uncomfortable because Spock falls in love with this woman. I mean, it's like you know, if you've watched enough episodes of Star Trek, you don't know what to do with that. He's laughing, he's telling jokes, he's hugging on this woman, they're getting physical, it's like, whoa, whoa, ah, no, no, Spock, you can't do that, what are you doing? So you just, you're weirding out over this thing, and, and he just wants to abandon everything about the Enterprise, and he's trying to convince Captain Kirk, well, eventually the plants get on the ship, and so the Enterprise is now infected with this spore thing, and everybody's abandoning ship. They're all beaming down to this planet, and they're going to live in this sense of bliss on the planet, and, and Captain Kirk is the only one left in his right mind, and he's on the Enterprise by himself, and guess what happens? Pfft, he gets spored, and so he's... He's checking in, he's, you know, and he's joking. Now he's joking with Spock and they're talking. And he's just about to beam himself down from the Enterprise. So Enterprise, the mission of the Enterprise, remember how the Starship thing starts, you know, our five-year mission. Was it a five-year mission? Five-year mission? You know, our, thank you, Jane. Uh, our five-year mission to boldly go where no man has gone before, to seek out new lives and new civilizations, right? This, this mission of the Enterprise is about to be over with. Captain Kirk is moments away from beaming himself down from the Enterprise and no one's returning. 
And right in the last moment, as only Captain Kirk can, he figures out how to solve the problem. That he needs, he stirs up these strong passions in himself and he, and he breaks the curse of this poisonous spur, spores that are inside of him. And then he realizes he's got to do that to everybody else. So he tricks Spock, he beams him up, and he, and he sort of starts a fight with Spock. Not a smart thing to do, but he does. He starts a fight with Spock. Spock, bef- just before killing Captain Kirk, comes to his senses and realizes. But here's the tragedy, because if, if you're a Star Trek fan, you were about, you thought you were watching the last episode. It's all over. I mean, the seeking out of new lives and new civilizations, boldly going and fixing every broken planet in the universe, it's over. Kirk's beaming down and it's over. The mission is lost. It's all over. Well, hold on to that thought because I, I think there's some Christians who have beamed down. Right? They beam down to earth, and they have lost sight of the fact that you and I are here on a mission. Right? We're, we're not here to sniff the spores and live in some kind of a nirvana-type delirium in America. We are here on a mission. And if you don't get that, everything we've talked about here doesn't make sense. If you detach the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the mission for Christians, you really can't get the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think I wrote this out in your outline there. It says, when it comes to understanding the ministry of the Spirit, you have to be careful that you don't try to connect with the Spirit or try to interpret the activity of the Spirit in some human context that has abandoned the mission, the mission that accompanies the giving of the Spirit. What we've been talking about, some of the works of power associated with the Spirit, I think I'm safe to make a distinction between the workings of power and the regenerative work of the Spirit that that brings us into a faith in Christ, brings about repentance and faith in in our being forgiven. This power ministry of the Spirit is is about a mission. When, When you get up in the morning, when you relate to people, when you spend your money, when you figure out what kind of an impression did my response just make on that person. Listen, do you have something in the back of your mind that at every moment you are wondering how that just affected your witness? Does that mess with you? Right? Whether you pull up to the bank window or whatever and it's supposed to be a quick transaction and it wasn't a quick transaction, and it was complicated, and it was their fault, and it was, it, it was inconsiderate on their behalf, and, and you're now going to respond to that. What guides your response? You just kind of let it all, just wail on that person, just insult them, just put them in their place. That was the most ridiculous. You get paid for this? Uh, I understand now why you work in fast food, okay? Vroom, we pull off. But what guides you? What causes you not to say that? I hope it's the fact that you're on a mission. And you may or may not, but you may have an opportunity with that person somehow to be on a mission with them. And what you said or didn't say to them is going to affect your witness. That should be a governing principle for every Christian in the house. Listen to this thought. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his excellent book, Joy Unspeakable. Whether you agree with everything he says in that book, it's a stirring, stirring, helpful book. He says, 
If we have no sense of responsibility for the condition of humanity at this moment, <clears throat> then there's only one thing to say. If we are Christians at all, we are very poor ones. If we are only concerned about ourselves and our own happiness, and if the moral condition of society and the tragedy of the whole world does not grieve us, if we are not disturbed at the way in which men blaspheme the name of God and all the arrogance of sin, well, what can be said about us? That should be a governing, guiding reality for every one of us that we are concerned about the condition of the fallen world in which we live and the people who inhabit this place. Jesus, when he brought up this ministry of the Spirit, he attached the ministry of the Spirit to this mission. Right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. After his crucifixion and his resurrection, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You're going to receive power. Jesus talked a lot, a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus highlights that this ministry is a ministry of power, and you're going to receive that power. But he no more gets the word power out of his mouth as he talks about the purpose of that power being about the witness that you're called to bear for me. Right, the power of the Holy Spirit is very much tied to the witness of the church, to the witness of every one of our lives when we're individually walking through this life, but the witness of us together as a community to the gospel. <clears throat> I think so many of us, <clears throat> excuse me, so many of us want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it's, it sounds cool. You know, it's kind of like the temptation to start reading your Bible in Revelation. It's like, you know, I, I like that. I like that prophecy fireworks kind of thing. Um, the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of drawn to that. You know, we, we, we are intrigued by and we want the power of the Holy Spirit, but <clears throat> we don't want to take the risks involved in being a part of the mission. We want to live these lives that are safe, these lives that are tame, but yet we want the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? I think there's a huge problem in that we have way over-domesticated the church. We, we've turned it into some, some form of an American institution. Like it, It's here somehow to tweak the American dream. It's here to touch our, our way of doing life and make our way of doing life better. Like we get saved and we hear about the power of the Holy Spirit and faith and all those things. And, and we, we come up with titles like your best life now. We come up with these ideas about how we can, we can harness the power of God and bring it into our world and make our ideas better ideas. We want to have big, huge faith so that we can experience more comfort in this world. We, we want to figure out how to, how to get our bodies healed. Right, do you understand that there are people in church history who their concern was the spread of the gospel, whether it took them into disease-prone parts of the world, whether they exposed themselves to tuberculosis and other, that, that took missionaries' lives 
you read about the loss of life by Livingston in Africa, William Carey in India, Hudson Taylor in China, these people, they, they, they lost their families to diseases and malaria because of their eagerness to be on a mission. It wasn't a tapping into power so they could figure out, how can I just make my world the ultimate little space on planet Earth to live in? Listen, now, now we, we can do that. We can do it with some good stuff. We can want to harness the power of God so that we can use it in our parenting. No, I'm not against that. There's something to be said for how we raise our kids. But you know what? The biggest thing we're believing for and using this power for is, is homeschooling our kids or making sure they get a Christian education. Uh, if, if that's where we're going with this power thing, you know, do, does anybody really think that's what Jesus was thinking of in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and your kids are going to sparkle and shine and be polite. Uh, I don't think that's where he's going. Now, I will say this. I think there's a corporate ministry of the church that witnesses of the power of God that does show up in that category. It shows up in our marriages. But, but we have somehow taken Christianity and moved it as far away from the front lines as possible and tried to make all the truths behave well way back here, away from enemy lines away from the hostility, away from where the gunfire is, away from where it's messy, away from where the weird people are. And we want to use all these spectacular gifts back here in as peaceful of a setting as possible. Right? It reminds me that this, what well, ends up looking like a crazy conversation. Um, my boys have this desire once in a while. We just, they just want to watch the Lord of the Rings. And so I don't know how many times we've watched the Lord of the Rings. Usually Jack is our Lord of the Rings pursuer. And so... I just want to watch the Lord of the Rings tonight, Dad. So we'll watch, sit down and watch the Lord of the Rings. How many of you guys have seen the Lord of the Rings? Read the book somehow. Two Towers, second Lord of the Rings. There's this conversation being had between the two little hobbits who are from the Shire. Peaceful, lovely place. When you live in the Shire, there's constantly, there's flutes in the background. I mean, it's just a great place to live. It's like Ireland on a good day. <clears throat> and here these two are. They've, they've been taken far away, and they've gotten exposed to the reality that there's this, there's this war on Middle Earth. If you live in the Shire, you're kind of stupid about all that. But they get exposed to the rest of the world, and they discover that there's this evil being who wants to destroy all of Middle Earth. And they discover the war. And at some point, the war gets really bad, and they're being carried around by this giant talking tree. Right? And in this conversation, one of them decides... Well, I guess we've done all we can do. Maybe we should just go back to the Shire. And you know, everywhere that they're standing is smoking. It's just everything's burned up and being destroyed. And these, this guy's offering, let's just go back to the Shire. Do you remember the Shire? I mean, it's so naive and stupid. And finally they come to their senses and it's kind of like, wait, we can't go back to the Shire. The whole world's about to be destroyed. What, are we going to just stick our heads in the sand? Well, you know, somehow Christianity that gets away from the front lines and it moves itself back here. And it gets really, really domesticated. And then it reads these big, huge Bible verses. You will receive power. And then it tries to apply that power back here where we fight as much as possible to keep life simple, 
comfortable, you know, if it, and then if it's not comfortable enough here, we just move it farther away and stay away from, stay away from the desperate people. Stay away from the broken, needy people, the people that you get around, they're going to extract something from your life. Stay away from the demon oppressed. When was the last time you guys say, oh, yeah, demon oppressed? I was, I was talking to a guy the other day. Or I was ministering to this guy the other day. Just the other day, hanging around this guy. He was demon oppressed, man. It was, it was quite an event for me to interact with him. Right, do you understand? We avoid that kind of stuff, don't we? We don't want to be around that. We'll be around people that look like us act like us. They got the same money as we do. They, they ask the same questions that we do. They have the same sports teams that we like. And then you get Jesus coming along and saying, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Can I, can I say one of the reasons why the church doesn't see power is because we live too far away from the front lines. We, we've, we've disassociated power from witness. Witness is an invasive activity. You're invading darkness when you witness. You know, this is, a, this is a cool series, but it's a series that needs a context. The church can't live in this peaceful, tranquil setting and think, ah, we're going to see revival? No, you know, in a lot of ways we don't need the power of God because we've made sure that we're not going to do anything that demands the power of God. And so power and witness are connected. Now, this is a long quote, but it's, it's, it's helpful. It's vintage John Piper. It's not in your outline there. It's going to be up on the screen here. Listen to this. He says, more than ever in my life, the stark reality of thousands of people groups unreached by a peaceful Western church has been branded on my brain. More and more, it troubles my heart. The logic of love is irresistible. If I love the lost, I will seek to save them from perishing. If I love the glory of God, I will work to overcome the worldwide ignorance and belittling of that glory. The blinders are beginning to fall off my eyes, and the bombshells of the unseen war are beginning to explode with terrible brightness all around me. I am coming to see the peacetime mentality that dominates our church and our conference is a tactical victory of Satan. The result of some nerve gas from Satan's arsenal. I wonder if you watched that Star Trek episode. Uh, probably so. Result of some nerve gas from Satan's arsenal of chemical weaponry that gives the soldiers of Christ a kind of stupor in some religious euphoria in others and eventually puts them to sleep at the gates of the enemy and makes them utterly oblivious to the cries of the POWs behind the wall. Who but Satan could devise a chemical weapon which when spread over the army of Christ would make them content simply to hold worship services and support groups at the door of Satan's dungeon. Picture the allied troops landing in Germany, marching victoriously toward the smoke of the ovens of Dachau, and then stopping at the gates, setting up camp, and having a big Bavarian beer bus to celebrate while the Gestapo finishes murdering 5,000 Jews behind the gates. Satan is satisfied with all our religious activity as long as it does not move us to break down those gates to rescue the perishing. Therefore, 
At the top of my agenda these days has been the question, how can I get myself and the church awake to a wartime mentality? Is there some way to break the spell? Picture a great army asleep with mighty weapons in their limp hands and and armor in their tents. Picture them sleeping in the fields all around one of Satan's strongholds. Suddenly, one eyelid blinks, a head lifts and looks around, then another and another. A strange awakening spreads through the field. Muscles are flexed, armor fitted, swords sharpened. Eyes meet with silent excitement. The light in the commander's tent goes on. The generals gather and the strategy for the attack is laid. What has happened? The Holy Spirit has begun to move upon the armies of the Lord. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Do not be drunk with Bavarian beer, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Put on the whole armor of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Keep alert and help each other be bold. There's only one power that can break the spell of Satan. Waken the armies of the Lord and rout the God of this age. The power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, so not only do we need the power on the front lines, we, we need the power to move us to the front lines, to break out in our hearts in a compelling way that causes us to lift our eyes and see life through a different lens and to be affected. Now this morning, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the witness of the Spirit and power. Listen, witness takes power. It doesn't just take words. It takes power. I don't know how many of us need to hear that said a bunch of times to us. Witness does not just take words. Witness takes power. You will receive power when the Holy... They already had words. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. They got words. They've got the gospel. They could preach right now. They've seen the risen Christ. They've recognized who he is. They've been with him for three years. They have words. But you wait in Jerusalem for power to come with those words. Because you don't just need words. You need power. We were at a conference recently. We were given a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And the title of it, I love the title of it. It's called The Plight of Man and the Power of God. The Plight of Man. And the power of God. You know what? If, if you don't get the plight of man, you don't realize how desperate you are to need the power of God if you're ever going to reach men who are in such a plight. And when we look at, if you're in Acts there, turn to Acts chapter 26 and keep a finger there for a moment. In Acts 26, we find the Apostle Paul explaining his call to ministry. Just one of many eye-opening, helpful insights what we're up against. Verse 16, Jesus is commissioning him and he says to Paul, arise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people And from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan 
to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It would be a worthy thing for me just to take some time right now and and do a quick study on the doctrine of depravity. So we understand what is it that we are bumping into when we get to the front lines and we go to witness. Is Is it just that I just need a cool, convincing argument? Is it just that I need to be able to explain the gospel accurately? Is it just that I need to be able to explain how the gospel came to me? Do you need need those things? Yes, you do. But it's not enough to have those things because you're up against something much, much more severe, much stronger in that person's life. I mean, there, there are layers of issues that are even in this one passage. You have people whose eyes need to be opened, and they need to be rescued from darkness. So you get, you know, it's that, it's that illumination. Let's shut all the lights off in here and make it absolutely pitch black. And then let's close our eyes and see how clearly we see. And then we're going to come along and we're going to point things out to people. Right? You're going to explain to somebody. Look, do you understand this over here? You see that over there? Here's the story. Here's the person. Here's what he did. Blah, 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 blah. And they are with their eyes closed in a darkened room. So you, you need a whole lot more than just words. And when we we read about the Holy Spirit, all these things that we've studied on this radio dial, all these gifts, all these ways in which the Spirit manifests himself in and through us, what's going on there? Why do we need all those tools? Why so much power and activity? It might help us if we understood what is really taking place when somebody gets rescued from the kingdom of darkness and comes into the kingdom of light. What's really going on there? How big a deal is that? What is ministry actually doing in people's lives? It's big. It should feel to you impossible, enormous, a Mount Everest in every person's heart as to why they will never come. And they would never even know they need to come. And they're not interested in anything you've got to say. Not one bit. And what will move them from there? Your cool illustration? I I like cool illustrations. I I came up with the Star Trek thing. I like cool illustrations. (laughs) But they don't change people. God can use them. But it's the power of God that will use them power of God will do something to them to cause it to do something to them. We need the power of God. Arthur Pink said, furthermore, it cannot be denied that it's no longer generally recognized that supernatural agency is imperatively required in order for the redemptive work of Christ to be applied to sinners. Rather do actions show it is now widely held that if unregenerate souls are instructed in the letter of Scripture, their own willpower is sufficient to enable them to decide for Christ. Listen, what, a, what an amazing thing we are bumping into. It, it's not a speed bump. A person coming to Christ is not a speed bump. The issues at work in their life that have kept them orbiting away from God are powerful, powerful issues in their lives. 
I, w- I want us to be properly intimidated. Our children come into Christ. That's not a speed bump. They don't just kind of trip over the kingdom because they've lived in our homes and they've listened to us speak to them. And they've seen the church. It's going to trip their way into the kingdom. It's a powerful thing for somebody to come out of darkness and come into light. For them to want to do that, to have faith, to give up the keys of their kingdom forever? Are you kidding me? Nobody wants to turn over control in their life. So one thing that we're born into this universe to do is to run it. Have you figured that out about the person you're living with? I mean, about yourself? (laughs) I mean, all the conflict, whether you got guns involved or just words involved, it's all about the fact that I got my kingdom, and in my kingdom I'm king, and you better start doing what I want you to do. And I don't have room for you to be stupid in my kingdom. So get it right. (laughs) And it gets ugly, doesn't it? I don't want to give up my keys. So what's going to happen? I need the power of God to come blow my world wide open, mysteriously and practically, so that I'm interested in coming into his kingdom on his terms. Listen, Jesus, Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit in his ministry, right? Turn to... Luke's first volume, right, where Acts is his second volume, Luke is his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. Jesus Christ needed this unique, I want to call it unique power. I think it draws our attention to it appropriately. This unique power for ministry, right? Jesus Christ is God. He comes to the earth and he takes the form of a man. He doesn't stop being God. He's still God. He's just wrapped in human clothing. And he spends 30 years of his life living a pretty common man's life. He's a carpenter. He's, he's from a section of town where people speak with a funny accent. They're not the most intelligent bunch around. He's just a common guy. Until age 30. Now listen, he's a common guy, but he is God in the flesh. All right, so something's going to happen here. At age 30... He's about to be launched into the mission. Chapter 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. All right, can we remember this when we come to stuff like this? The Bible wasn't written before God got here so that he had to follow it like a manual. He creates the Bible. So in this moment, Jesus is about to be launched into his public ministry. That's what's happening right here. God doesn't have to follow a manual. Why doesn't he just pick himself up and get going? Why do we need to have him publicly baptized and then the Holy Spirit is going to descend upon him and do something in his life. Why can't he? He's, he's the son of God. Right? He's the one who spoke and all the world came into being. That, doesn't he have some power already going on here? Well, God chooses to do it this way. He places the spirit on Christ. Right? Chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit... Right? Now, these are terminologies we kind of borrow and learn something about our own lives. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And then shortly after that, he's found in, in Nazareth, verse 16, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read, as was his custom. This is, this is not new. It's not like Jesus never showed up in the synagogue. He's been there before, but there's something different today. There's something different about him today. And, he, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember that terminology from last week? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, the gospel, to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord needed to anoint him with power to be able to proclaim the gospel. Did Jesus just find out the gospel? No, he knows the gospel. But there's a power being given to him in the proclamation of the gospel. He sent me to proclaim, all right, now here's where it gets messy. Liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, now right there, that's frontline stuff right there. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But he's sending me right here to the edge, right where darkness and light collide into a bunch of messy people's lives, into captives and oppressed people. Right? If you let, that, let those come to life for you and don't treat them like some theological term that doesn't mean anything. Can you think about some people in your life that you've had to spend some time with who are oppressed? who are held captive by sin in the most ugly of ways, right? right? You mean use your prison ideas, but use them in real-life scenarios. These are people who are captive to anger and outbursts of anger. They're blowing up everybody in their life on a regular basis. These are people whose selfishness never, never even notices any need in your life. And you got to live with them. And they're captive to that. And they're oppressed and there's spiritual forces that are at work in their life. That, boy, if they could go far, this far in sin in their own strength, what happens when spiritual forces ratchet them up even farther and they go even beyond that? So I'm going to make the headlines. We read about them in the news. That's, that, those are messy people to be around, aren't they? Jesus said, that's why I receive power. I receive power to proclaim the gospel to them. Not for some peacetime event far, far removed from the messy people and the messy needs that are around us. The gospel's about power and witness. Acts chapter 10, verse 37 in your outline there, highlights this ministry of the Spirit in Jesus' life. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. This is is an an enablement. This is an empowering. This is a giving of some form of spiritual advantage to the one who has this. And and unlike us, because I think we can get confused, and there is some confusion, about, you know, when we receive the Spirit, there's a couple of elements to receiving the Spirit for us. There's the regenerative work of the Spirit where the Spirit comes to us and regenerates us and gives us abilities to break the hold of the darkness in our lives and repent and have faith in God. That's the work of the Spirit. 
Then there's this empowering work of the Spirit. Right? Now, you understand Jesus didn't need that first work of the Spirit. Jesus never was needing to come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus didn't need regeneration because he wasn't spiritually dead. But he still needed that other one. He still needed the coming upon power of the Spirit for the purpose of witness in this fallen world. Right? Jesus needed it. The apostles needed it. Turn to the end of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, who, interestingly, he begins the ministry of Jesus with a highlighting of the Spirit. He is now going to end the ministry of Jesus with a highlighting of the Spirit. Jesus' final words with his feet touching this earth were about the Spirit. Jesus began his ministry anointed by the Spirit. His last words are about the Spirit. Verse 44 in chapter 24 of Luke. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name and his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. There's the Great Commission, there is the gospel. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. All right, now do you see this? Even though they have seen and can testify and can give witness to who Jesus is accurately, they can tell people who he is and what he did. And they can even tell him about what he's done in their own life. He still says, but for you to be a witness, you're going to need to wait for the power of God upon your life. So that when you proclaim this message, there's this mysterious power that goes with you and does things that you could never do without that power being present. Right, when, when we find the Apostle Paul at the end of his life, in Romans chapter 15, he's, he's summing up his ministry. And look where he puts so much emphasis there. Romans 15 verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. How did that happen? By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's, a, that's an interesting definition there of what full gospel ministry looks like. You may need to see how many times he references the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit. In his very short brief, 
There was words, there were deeds, there was the preaching of the gospel, and there was the power of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit in their conversions. That's quite an emphasis on the power of the Spirit. Now listen, let me bring this home to us. Eric, you can go ahead and come back up here. There's something here that Jesus, his last words with his feet on earth is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. This this is the concern for Jesus as he leaves. This is the last thing he's saying to them with his human feet touching the earth. Jesus didn't start his ministry without being empowered, uniquely receiving power for that ministry. The apostles did not start their ministry without uniquely receiving power for the witness. You and I must receive power by the Spirit to witness the gospel. Peter Lewis says, God has never left Pentecost as an isolated moment in the past, but has given it as the promise, remember this in Acts chapter 2, to you and to your children of a new and mighty dimension of spiritual experience available to us all. All right, if you are a theologian type here today, you are wrestling through some terminologies over the last couple of weeks. You should be. You should be wrestling with the correct biblical use of terms like baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. You should be wrestling with, who is that describing? Describing every Christian. Or is that only describing certain Christians who have had certain experiences? You should be asking these questions. And it'd be a worthy study for us to spend some time in talking about the use of the term baptism in the Spirit and filling in the Spirit in Scripture. Can I I cut to the chase? Because I think there's a lot of theological headiness and discussion taking place in that category that almost becomes embarrassing uh, because it's being spoken by people who aren't exactly raising the dead and casting out demons. There's lots of folks who want to debate. They want to debate. Well, well, doesn't doesn't baptism in the Spirit happen when you believe? You get saved, isn't that you you are baptized in the body of Christ? I mean, that's First Corinthians. Okay, you know what? I'm with the theological argument from a variety of, of different folks who are debating that baptism in the Spirit. Here's here's where I would part ways. Whatever term you want to use, there's something of a unique empowerment of God in the Scriptures. And I think I can use the terminologies in Scripture and and avoid whatever argument somebody can create. I, I can even set aside baptism in the Holy Spirit if you want to. But there's filling with the Spirit. There's the Spirit came upon, fell upon. The Spirit was poured out. These are dimensions of the Spirit that get highlighted. There are dimensions of the Spirit that Jesus awaited in his own ministry. 
to go forth. And when he concluded his ministry upon the earth, he looked back at his disciples and said, you know, you need it too. You need it too. You wait. You wait for this. Now, here's one thing I can say, because sometimes we argue ourselves into inactivity. I look back through history, and I studied a bunch of historical perspectives before we started this series on the Holy Spirit. And what was interesting, what I found in, in guys who didn't believe in, they were cessationists, they didn't believe the continuing work of the Spirit in the ways in which we see it in Scripture. They believe the Spirit of the, work, of, the, of the Holy Spirit is at work in some ways, but He's not at work in all these ways. They do not believe that there is this uh, differentiation between the initial work of the Spirit and regenerating and saving us and an ongoing power component to the Spirit. So disagree in all those things. But yet those guys in history would find themselves standing at a moment in the history of the church and basically explaining a power outage in the church. They would have used terminology that I think on one hand theologically has merit, but I think it's used recklessly. For me to stand in front of you and say, hey, you know what? When you got saved, you got all the spirit there is to get. I got a little bit more homework to do before I use terminology like that. Because in some ways, that's true. And you don't want to create this idea that somehow you now have to enter into the realm of what Christ did in order to procure for yourself access of the Spirit. There's something that Christ did on the cross that finishes the conversation about how it is that you and I have access to God and He has access to us. So in that sense, there is nothing more for you to do to access the Spirit of God. There's nothing more you could do. The work to access the Spirit was 100% done by somebody else beside you. And so you can't add to it. So there's, there's, this is not a plea for you to do stuff to somehow gain the Spirit favorably upon your life. That, that conversation is over. If you're a Christian, the favor of God is upon your life. And the access of the Spirit is upon your life. But if I'm honest with the Bible, I find that there is ministry in the church, in the scriptures, as well as through history, where there seems to be moments when power is not always present the same way. Can you, can you at least go there with me? Power in the scriptures, in people's lives, it's not always the same. So I come to a person who's experiencing power in one dimension, and amazing things are taking place, and they're coming back like they did with Jesus, I said, man, demons were subject to us. We just spoke and those dudes hit the road. Mind-blowing, Jesus. And the power of God was present so that, you know, pieces of garments were taken from Peter and were just laid and, and, and people were getting healed by that stuff. It was an amazing day of power in their lives. And then you read in other places where there's not power for people to overcome sin. There's not power for people to work the miraculous. There's not power there. Right, so here's the reality. If I'm staring at this guy, and I know this is a reality, and I'm staring at this guy, is this really a great argument for this guy in this moment? Hey, dude, you've received all the spirit that there is to have, man. That's what Pentecost was about. There's something dysfunctional going on in your life, man. There's a realm of the power of the Spirit that is in the Scriptures that's available to you and you're not experiencing it. Well, I'm, I'm just waiting for somebody to use the terminologies right. 
Well, can you just humble yourself and say, you know what? I don't know all the terminologies and how they're supposed to be used. But I know there's a greater outpouring of God that can be in my life that can make me useful for the kingdom of God, that can move me to the front lines where it gets messy, difficult, confusing. People are oppressed. They're in bondage. And God can come in with these amazing gifts of the Spirit. Why do we need these gifts? Because what we're trying to do is supernatural in nature. And you and I can't do it apart from the gifts. Jesus received something when the Spirit descended upon him. That Spirit comes upon us. Just once, Keith? Multiple times? Well, people have different views on that. I would tend to say multiple times. I would tend to say the reality is that that there are moments when I've experienced power in this way only two years later to say I feel like my power is about right here now in that category. Well, maybe here in another category. But there's power available for us to minister. And so I'm not going to solve the debate on the baptism in the Spirit, how to use that term. Did Paul use it differently than than Luke was using it? I, I just want us to be humbly saying this. If you're hiding behind some idea that Paul used the term differently and you got this minimal power thing going on in your life, listen, you know, don't shoot down the teaching on the filling and baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and you got, you know, little little nerf pellet things flying out of the end of your gun, you know. How's your ministry in the spirit? I was baptized in the Spirit when I believed. Hey, really? Well, how about, how about more power than that? How about just humbling yourself and saying, you know, whatever it is I got, I need more. <laughs> I need this thing to come flying out of here. I need to shoot it at people and watch them get knocked off their feet and cry out and say, what must I do to be saved? Listen, and I'm not, I'm not faulting, you know, we do a lot of stuff. We program things. We give people an opportunity to encounter the gospel, encounter the witness of God in us. But, you know, we need the power of God. This meeting needs the power of God in it. It needs right now for the Spirit of God to be doing something to you that there's no illustration, there's no story from my life, there's no passage I can quote to you that's turning you inside out and making you want to come out of your skin. I love what we do at Alpha. I absolutely love the opportunity we have to sit with people and open the story of God from our lives and from the scriptures to them over a 10-week period. I love that. But how many know we'd like to see something more of the power of God in that setting? You know what I want to see? I want to see somebody sitting at a table. Now, actually, we have seen this, but I want to see it again. I want to see somebody sitting at the table and just burst into tears and begins to cry out and says, what must I do to be saved? I mean, they are so aware of the greatness of God and their need for salvation. They're not just here to barter some points with you. They're crying out in their heart, what must fix me? Please tell me what I got to do. I need to be fixed. That's the power of God messing with your world. That's what we need. Remember the thousands who cried out? On the day of Pentecost, there's the power of God in their midst. And that was the promise of God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Let's stand up together.
Father, thank you for our thank you for our access to the Spirit here this morning. Thank you that barriers have been blown away by the cross, removed, incinerated, never to be able to be rebuilt. So, Father, we have access to your presence. And, Lord, I thank you that how your heart must celebrate the ability granted to us to return to you in fellowship and in worship and in nearness. That's a rich, rich encounter, Lord. We love that encounter. We want that intimacy with you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives it to us. Lord, what we're reading about today is another aspect of the Spirit. It's not just about restoration to you. It's about mission. It's about power to mess with our world. It's about some unique ability given to us accompanying us, going before us and around us as it did with Jesus. Well, Lord, your church, you said don't go anywhere. It said pause, stay right here, hold still till you got this. Well, Lord, we don't, we don't want to try and do what you said don't do without the Spirit's power. So, Lord, right now I pray for significant awareness in our hearts of what's, what's the power like in our lives. How are we receiving power? How are we aware of your power? Spirit of God, bring clarity. Your voice being heard right now. Your sense of moving us to a self-awareness that's accurate. I believe that there's some here this morning that the intention of God in this time right now is to awaken you to get an agreement with God that that you are not on a mission. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying you're not on a mission. You have somehow sniffed the spores. You are living in some form of earthly tranquility, being at peace with people and things around you, and doing church and doing something spiritual, but you're not on a mission and this morning God is trying to awaken your soul God's trying to dislodge this sense in you that you would just continue for one more day with some kind of a camp out at the doors of the dungeon of Satan the people around us are needing us to be a desperate people for the power of God needing us to awaken each day with a sense of assignment and calling from God to disrupt the enemy's world, to grab and snatch those who are bound up and oppressed in this world and yet they would would come by the power of God into the kingdom of God. Oh Lord, that you would search us and you would find out whether we are on a mission here. Do you hear God speaking to you this morning? Are you, are, are you on a mission? If you are not, your heart needs to turn in broken humility before God in repentance. God, I'm busy with other things. Lord, other things, other things have captured me. 
This morning, God, your spirit is speaking to me, and I want to cooperate. I want to respond, Lord. I want to, I want to turn to you, and I want to seek a new day. I want you to work in my life differently. I want to have faith that the days ahead are days where I hear your voice compelling me, launching me, causing me to take risks that I never would have taken before, plunging me into the lives of the needy, those who are without you. God, awaken your mission in me this morning. Spirit of God, you are the means of our being awakened. I believe there are many of us here, many, many of us here who have lost sight of our need for power in what we do in transferring the gospel our desperate need for God to move, our desperate need for God to accompany us, our need to do more than bring words to people. I want you to think, how desperate are you, parents? How desperate are you to recognize that what must take place in your children's lives is a miracle? It's as big a miracle as Lazarus coming out of that hole. speed bump. They won't just trip their way into the kingdom. Maybe people in your life that, that you long for them to come and be saved, but that longing is uninformed. It's, it's not a cry for the power of God. There, there may be times where believers are gathered. There's prayer meetings called, are you there? Do you participate? Because you recognize that if we have any hope of affecting this world, the Spirit of God must go before us. So therefore, when there's an opportunity to pray, we pray and we call out to God because His power has got to show up in our lives. Or you can't remember the last time you were in a prayer meeting. Listen, God needs to awaken some this morning that you're not desperate for the power of God. a big difference between seeking power and assuming power. You're not seeing power in your life. Don't assume that that power is there sufficiently. Seek the power that you're not seeing. Here's what I'd like for all of us to do this morning. I'd like for you right where you are. You can sit, you can kneel. I'd like for you to think about the mission field that God has you in right now. Your life is a mission field. It's orchestrated by God. It's got relatives in it. It's got people in it. It's got responsibilities in it. It's got stuff at, at work that you're relating to people. You are, you are on a mission field right now. I want you to think about the ways in which you need the power of God on your mission field. I want you to just begin to intercede for the power of God. I just want you to just kneel down where you are. Listen, you, you, every day ought to look like this, right? This shouldn't be a moment like, wow, I can't remember. This is how we awaken the day. Lord, I'm going to need your power today to show up this way. And now, I'm, God, I'm calling out and I'm asking for you. Begin to intercede. Begin to ask for the power of God in your mission field. Just let God bring those things to mind. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I'm just going to be quiet and let the Holy Spirit draw you in a little bit begin to stir your heart to plead for his power.
words are perfect and just slow to anger and abounding in love you have shown us your father's heart but we your people have turned from you resisting your power and grace taking our lives into our hands we have stumbled and lost our way so we humble ourselves before you and confess our unfaithfulness towards you forgive our sins remove our shame Restore the church that bears your name, that revival may come to this land, that revival may come to this land once again.
believe the Lord would say something very specific um, for those hearts whom the Lord has already communicated this to you'll know that it's for you but the Lord would like to speak to you and say how came you to be here today do you think it was from the invitation of a friend or do you think it was because happenstance happened you got here on accident the Lord would tell you no you did not get here on accident I am the Lord. I'm sovereignly in control of this entire earth. It's my footstool. I hold the hollow in all the waters of the, the world in the hollows of my hand. I control it all. I called you here. I spoke to you. I called you here. I ordained that you would be here today to hear what you heard. And I'm the one that affects you even now that softens your heart and opens your ears and your eyes to see and hear. Lord, we ask that this be the beginning of your spirit's mark on our church. God, so that we might be, as a church, a voice of the gospel to this city, an effective witness. God, we need your spirit. We need the power of your spirit. God, we're tired of, of trying and failing. God, we, we need something else. Lord, we need your spirit to aid us in our in our daily walk with you, in our ability to communicate the gospel to folks. Um, 
Lord, in our sanctification. Lord, we need your spirit in us. We need your spirit to reign in us. So, Lord, we, we invite you. Lord, and we, and we look for you this week. And may we, may we continue to ask tomorrow morning when we wake up, when we be asking for your spirit. Lord, and we're going to look for your spirit this week to be in greater power than it was even last week, Lord. Lord, may that be our encounter, our testimony this week would be that we asked for the Spirit, we cried out for the Spirit, the Spirit responded in power. That's what we ask for, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great day.
Strong. 